uh, live or you're catching us later, really glad that all of you have taken some time out of your day to connect with God, to connect with other people, to hear from His Word, to worship. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here at the Grove Church. Really glad that each and every one of you are here. And we're in the middle of a series right now, and the series just kind of birthed out of this idea that we need a little bit of help in kind of really understanding just the some kind of the big picture goals of what it is that God is calling us to as, as Christians. And I was just thinking about that this week. I was thinking about uh, my, my college days. And I would think about the very, like the very first day of, of class. On the very first day of class, like a lot of my friends would say, I'm, I'm not going to go that day. I'm not going to go today. Like, like why not? It's like, all they're going to do today is go over the syllabus. If you don't know what a syllabus is, I don't want to be too snooty here. A syllabus essentially is kind of the kind of spells out what, what's going to happen for the entire class. And like to me, I didn't, comp- I didn't understand that at all. They, like, that's, like, that's like the most important day because you get, that's the day you find out exactly kind of when the tests are, or when the quizzes are, what kind of papers, kind of how they grade. Because my philosophy, and this was true in high school, in college, my philosophy was this, what is the best grade that I can get with the least amount of effort? And so I needed to know, like, what, what do you expect? I mean, it's very important to see, is attendance mandatory? Are they going to check for attendance? I mean, these, kinds of, these are things that you need to know. And so you're kind of figuring this out. Okay, in order to, to do well at this class, I have to do this much in order to get the grade that I want. I'm not saying that I'm proud of that, you know, uh, minimum effort, maximum result kind of perspective on school. Hey, kids, do better. I feel like your kids are here. I got to say something. Um, then there were the tryhards, right? The people who really liked syllabus day, you know, because they were like students trying to learn. And so they were like, they would get really excited about it because they were excited about the content of the class. Sure. And, and, and they, and they want to learn things. And they're, they're excited about it because it kind of spells out, hey, this is what this class is going to be about. And when it's done, these are the things you're going to know. These are things that you're going to be able to do. And, and it kind of spells out for them the objectives and the hopes and, and the content of the class. And people really like that. And I found myself thinking this week that it would be great if life had a syllabus. Where life had the syllabus where it was like very, it was, it was just clear what it was that God was calling us. Like specifically what we're because there's a lot of reasons why there's not anything like that. One, because of people with attitudes like me. We're always looking for what's the least amount I can get away with and still be okay. But I do wish that there was just this bigger sense of which where it was just very clear for us. How's it going? I would say, man, how are you doing in your walk with God? How are you doing as a Christian? Like, do we even know the categories in which to start to answer that question? Much less begin to explore the answer to that question. Do we even know what categories? And so what we're trying to do with this series and ultimately kind of, kind of build this more into our grow vocabulary is to try to build in some, some key indicators, maybe some key questions to kind of help us understand and evaluate how we're really doing in our pursuit of God. So this started two weeks ago with Mark, and he launched us off and essentially helped us ask this question, how is your relationship with God? He spent a lot of time just kind of talking about what it means to relationally connect with God. And so I ask you that question, how is your relationship with God? 
And I want to make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying because I didn't ask, are you reading the Bible? I didn't ask if you are praying. I asked a broader, deeper, more relational question than that. Because I could ask you, man, how, how are you and your family doing during the pandemic? And you could respond with, we're spending a lot of time together. Now, now that, that's, that's an answer, but it doesn't really answer the question. Because spending a lot of time together and how you're doing, there's not necessarily, especially with the I mean, like, how is that time going, right? And so, I believe in our relationship with God, it is essential that we spend time in His Word and hear from God and we pour out our heart to God through prayer. This isn't just about the things that we do. It's talking about the, the relationship. Is, is there love there? Is there connection there? Do you feel known by God? Do you feel like you are learning and, and growing in your knowledge and understanding and appreciation of who God is? Do you have a clear understanding of how it is that God views you? What is your relationship with God like? The second question, we talked about this last week. How is your relationship with God? Second question, how is your inward life? Now, if you were here last week, uh, either online or in the room, or you, or you watched it, it was, it was certainly last Sunday was a more intense version of that message than was necessarily planned as we were looking at this series. Because at the time, the world seemed to be on fire yet again and kind of incorporated that message last week into just kind of some bigger picture ideals for us as Christians about can we, while the world is on fire, be at peace and experience joy and patience and experience the fullness of God even if circumstances around us and what, how God has called us to, to from that love a world that is hurting and broken. But anyway, the principles are the same, and in a different world, there was a less, intense, a less intense version of that, where essentially we're just kind of talking about that, that our actions, if we're going to do the right things, those things kind of have to flow from who we are. There was a list that we looked at in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. When God's Spirit is really in you, and you're experiencing God, then inwardly, you're going to have love and joy and patience and <clears throat> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and so when I ask you, how is your inward life? I say, would you say those things are characterizing you right now? Would you say you are experiencing joy? Would you say you are experiencing peace, self-control? How are you doing on the inside? And if you'll notice kind of the progression that we're making, it is really this kind of this inside-out progression. It starts in first and foremost with the relationship that I have with God. That God and I are good. And then when God and I are good, then God is remaking me and reforming me on the inside. Bringing me these, these qualities, reshaping me. And now I'm a, a loving person, a joyful person, a peaceful person. I have self-control. I am kind. Th th these are the character qualities He's building in me. And it is from that that we then begin to talk about what we do. We're not going to be the kind of church that starts with, these are the things that you should do. Do this, do this, think this, do, 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 don't, 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 do, don't. That's not, and we're certainly not ever going to be the kind of church that tells you that you need to fake it until you make it. What we are hoping 
What we are praying for, what we are trying to do together is that we have a deep, intimate relationship with God. That we are allowing His Spirit to transform us on the inside. And then from that comes our behavior, how we act, how we treat people, how we live our lives. And so Jesus, this was obviously a a very important thing to Jesus. Because there was a group of people around him that lived life the opposite of that. Where they were primarily concerned with the way that they looked to people out there. And this group was called the Pharisees. And they were essentially the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And Jesus, by and large, you read a lot of stories of Jesus, you will get the picture of a very compassionate person a very gracious, merciful person. But this particular group of people, these people who were called by God to lead God's people spiritually, who messed up and, and had got it so wrong and so backwards, he had, he, he, they, yeah, he, let's just say that they rubbed him the wrong way. I mean, he, he was very frustrated with them. I mean, in, in a sense that God gets angry, which he does. I mean, it was a, he, he was angry with them. He was frustrated with them. And if you believe, I don't know how your theology is, if you believe that Jesus can go on just a full-blown rant, then in Matthew chapter 23, that's what he had. He is just going through and describing these people and describing their hypocrisy in a way that is just, it's, it's really intense. So we're just going to take a little bit of it and just kind of look at it because I think it kind of helps us understand this idea of what Jesus is trying to do in us and kind of building us from the inside out. Matthew chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So these are two of the illustrations that Jesus uses to describe the hypocrisy of this group of people. And the first one is a cup. So you've got this cup, and just imagine for it's, it's us, we'll kind of fast forward a little bit. It's us, and you're a coffee drinker, and you've got this coffee cup, and you work really, really hard making sure the outside of your coffee cup is clean. You really want it to be clean because you want people to believe that you are a hygienic person and that you take care of your stuff. And so you work really, really hard on the outside of your cup. And you got this clean cup. It's like, ooh, that cup's really clean. It's shiny. It's nice. That's a nice. Is that brand new? I don't know. I've had it for years. It's really nice, beautiful little coffee mug that I have. And it's just beautiful and shiny. But on the inside, it hasn't been cleaned in a very, very, very long time. But they don't care about that. And so they're like, there's just nasty, disgusting filth inside there. But as long as the cup's outside clean, they're good. And they go, mmm. And then all of the disease that is in that cup is now in them. Have you ever, have you ever, I mean, especially if you have parents, this is a rhetorical question for people who have parents. Have you ever, like, discovered a cup, like, two weeks later, three weeks later, under a bed, behind a thing, and it had, I don't know, milk in it or something like that? Or maybe your own coffee mug. And so, like, sometimes I find a, a milk cup, and then you just, you take off the lid and like, oh. And, and you pour it in there, and, and, and 
liquid doesn't come out. It just kind of goes, and it's this kind of thing. And I, have, I don't know if you have this moment. I have this moment, like when you find one of these really gross cups that has, has had something in it for a while, you just think, should I just throw this away? Is it just better to start over? Like, would I, seeing now and smelling now what I've experienced, no matter how many times I put this through the dishwasher, would I want to drink out of this cup again? But what Jesus is saying these people, they don't care. As long as the outside is clean, as long as what you think I'm doing is drinking out of a clean cup, that's all that matters. And all of the filth and the dirt and the disgusting disease that's inside the cup and the dish, it doesn't matter. That's what you're like. And he says, this is also what you're like. You're like a tomb. You're like this tomb. And for them, it was kind of, the, you know, they, they, they kind of these little caves with these rocks rolled over them. It's like, it's like, just imagine, this is what you were like. You're like this tomb that you work really, really hard to make beautiful and ornate and you, and you polish it and it shines and it's beautiful. And everybody comes like, that is beautiful. Like one of these mausoleums. You're like, it's just beautiful and ornate and has all, it's just, wow, what a beautiful building. That's what you're like. Except that not only you're beautiful on the outside like that, but inside there's nothing but dead bodies. That's what you're like. like. That is an intense but very vivid metaphor that Jesus uses to describe a hypocrite. You care so much about the way that you look on the outside. But inside is just death and disease and rottenness. And so, you think about what it is that God is calling us to. He's calling us not to be hypocrites, but people who are full of integrity. And so the third question that we'll ask is this, who are you when no one is watching? No one's watching. When you have an opportunity to do something, to respond to something, and no one else is around, no one will see what you do, no one will find out what you do, it's just you. Who are you then? It's a very deep question. It's a question I don't per- personally want to answer. It's one I don't even necessarily want to think about. And it sounds so foreign in a lot of ways because most of us, that's just kind of how we're trained. We're, we're, we're trained to think and behave in certain ways based on who's around me. What will people think? What will people see? And so... The idea of really thinking about what if who you really are is determined primarily by the way that you behave and act when no one else will see or know. I mean, that is very, that's a very, that's a very difficult thing. But again, that, that's, where, that's kind of our next step. Is, am I connected with God? What is God doing with my character And then my character is going to be first and primarily reflected by my behavior in private when no one else can see. There's this thing that I talk about in Connections. Connections is our membership class. We've got another one of those coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, One of the, we have this list of six things that we need to be able to expect from each other. And one of them is, is that we're going to be people who work hard to protect God's reputation. And it's important that we be people who do that, that, that we want people when they look at us to think well of God. Because we say that we are God's people. And I say this is really, really important 
because there are a lot of people out there, and then I begin to ask a series of questions. And as of yet, I've done it. I've done this. I've I've probably asked this in connections. Maybe probably we were getting, I don't know, 75, 80 times. I've done it a few times here in the service, and no one has ever missed out on this because there's this problem that's out there in the world where people think of the church and they say, I don't want to be a part of church. I don't like church people because church people are full of. What? Don't be nervous. I know it's church. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Right? No one ever misses that. Sometimes you're embarrassed to say it out loud because you're at church, but no one ever misses it. And I'm going to ask you this. This is the next one. This next one. Why, why do people think that? Yes! You didn't miss it either. It's true. They believe it because it's true. And they believe it because it's true, and they don't generically believe it. They have not heard this. The question that I ask next is, why do they believe it's true? Because they have a story. They have a story. It's not, I've heard about this. They have a personal story about where they have encountered someone who said that they were a follower of Jesus Christ. What they experienced was the opposite of that. And then most people will gladly tell you their story. And I've had that experience before, and I'll just use a, a particular example. How about maybe you have experienced something like this too. Have you, ever, have you ever been or known a waiter, waitress, hostess uh, who had to work the Sunday lunch crowd? If you don't, you should ask your friend about it and what it is like to serve the after-church crowd on Sunday lunch. Most waiters, waitresses, hostess will say it is the worst shift of their week. They hate it, and they are the worst people. They come straight from here, talking about the great and goodness of God and the love and mercy of Jesus Christ, and go out there and say, I said, hold the onions. I said I didn't want mayonnaise. Take this back. You know, I'll tell you my personal experience with this. When we first decided to move into this, wanted to move into this building, it was only going to work if we could use the entire parking lot, which meant the restaurant next door couldn't be open on Sundays, which according to their website, there weren't. But I needed to talk to the people about it. I was like, hey, it says you're not open on Sundays. You for real, you're not open on Sundays? Like, no, we don't open on Sundays. Do you ever decide to open on Sundays? Like, no, we don't. Like, I mean, like, but like, but like ever. Mm-mm. Well, what about like Easter brunch? Like Easter brunch is kind of a big deal, kind of fancy restaurants like yours. Like Easter brunch, like no, we will never be open on Sundays. And you could tell as I was asking that, that there was something just bursting inside of them that they wanted to, wanted to say. And finally it just came out. We will never be open on Sundays because church people are the worst people in the world in the restaurant business. And if we have to take a day off, I decided I was going to take that day off so my staff didn't have to experience those types of people. I don't know what you would do in that situation. A pastor of a church, somebody says that to you, but I, I apologize on behalf of all of the Christians in the entire world in that moment because that's really, that's really all that you can do. And it wasn't like I could say, nuh-uh. This is an experience that someone who's been in the restaurant industry for a very long time is an experience that they've had. And that's really just one level of hypocrisy. There's one level of hypocrisy that says, okay, well, This is who I am in church, but then when I'm not in church, I'm somebody else. But then there's another level beyond that. You're still doing that in public. 
the next level beyond that is not simply I'm not going to be one person here and one person out there. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be one person here and one person in private when no one is around. No matter if I'm at church, if I am out in the world, I'm close to home, I am far from home, I am physically with people, I am chatting online, I am posting on my social media, I am by myself. Who I am remains the same. That is the sign that the character, the fruit of the Spirit that God is doing inside of me, that they're coming out. And so, as Jesus is, you know, we've got another passage in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is kind of talking, again, about these same sort of people, about the sort of people who act in a way and only to get noticed. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So again, Jesus uses a couple of different illustrations here to describe someone. He says, what do you want to do? You don't want to be the kind of person who behaves in a certain way, who acts and does the right thing so that other people will see it and praise them. You don't want to be that type of person. Because he says, but listen, if you want to be rewarded by God for who you are becoming and what you are doing, you need to do these things in secret. If you're doing them as a, and your reward is people will think that you're great, well, that's your reward. If you want to be rewarded by God, then you need to do it in secret. He says, and he uses these illustrations, and I cannot imagine that he's just making these things up randomly. These are things that were actually happening. And he says that, that when people would come to the temple to bring an offering, either for the church or for the poor, that they would have musicians accompanying them. So they're walking there with their bag of money, and then somewhere behind them, the trump, clang, and then everybody's like, man, that was a big bag of money. Could be rocks in there for all we know. But the trumpet player says, look at what this guy is doing. And he says also there'd be people that would pray that instead of just being wherever they are at home or at work or whatever and to pray, like they would come outside like to a busy intersection and be like, oh God, thank you so much for blessing me and for how much you love me and all the great things that you have done for me and they use fancy words and they're just sitting there in public shouting out loud so everybody can hear their prayer, and they're talking to somebody, but they're not talking to God. They're talking about themselves, pretending to talk to God, but they're talking to you so that you can hear it. And Jesus said, man, that's ridiculous. You're looking for a reward from people, you've got it, but you're never going to get anything from God for behaving that way. Now, probably most of us have never seen anything like that, 
or someone has a musicians accompanying their giving, or someone who walks out of their home to stand on a street corner to pray what would considerably be a private prayer. But I promise you, I have seen an updated version of both of those things. I have seen the offering. There was a, there was a time when, when offering baskets went by. I mean, this was, this was, you know, way before. There was no online giving because there's no such thing as online. And a lot of people didn't even use checks. It was just mostly cash that was coming in. And my, my favorite thing that I ever saw was a guy gave a, a ghost dollar. What's well, a ghost dollar, you might think? Well, the thing comes by, he puts his hand in his pocket. He pulls out nothing, puts his hand in the bucket, puts in nothing, and then drops it. And then passes it on. I'm like, bro! I didn't, I didn't say anything, but like, I, I handed it to him, I saw it happen. I was like, well, okay. But I also saw, like in church growing up, like the, the bucket comes around, and I'm telling you, you get a little bit more attention from four quarters than you do a dollar bill. Actually, can get more attention from four dimes than a $20 bill. And so there's just something about you placing your offering in there and bing, 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 bing. Right? People do that. And, and, and I think about some of the prayers that I heard growing up. It was just very, it seemed very apparent, it seems very apparent to me, certainly in hindsight, that a lot of these prayers and the, and the words that were used, it was just like, they weren't, pray, they weren't talking to God. They were speaking or, ornately in order to impress people. And I remember this in my own life when I think I was 12, maybe 13. The pastor came up to me once after the service. And he would, on Wednesday night and on Sunday night service, he would call at least on a couple of different people at different times in the service to pray instead of him or someone that was part of the worship team or whatever. He would just call on people from the audience. And one Wednesday night, he asked me, he said, would you be comfortable with me um, asking you to pray sometime? And I was a prideful guy, and anything that felt like an upgrade or promotion, I was totally in for. Like, yes, go right ahead. And I knew, because I figured out well, probably this works, is that the very next opportunity, he was probably going to call on me. So it was Wednesday to Sunday, so I've got four days. I've got four days to work on my prayer, because one of the things that I'd noticed was everybody had their own closing. Right, You say your prayer, and then in the end, you wrap it up. In the name of Jesus. In the name of our precious Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is eternal. Like, what a, you got your own closing. So I, I knew it was very important to have a really good closing. And I practiced this. I rehearsed this. And I spent a lot of time. Like, man, I, I don't know how long you have to, like, com, like, like, like once you have make your closing, is that your closing forever? Can you change it? Because nobody changed it. They all had their same. You think... What kind of 12-year-old kid is paying that much attention to church that he, I, I could have told you individual. I, I knew how each one of them was going to end it. Like I don't, but that's my own weirdness. But the reality of it is, when I prayed that night, on that Sunday night, it was to impress people. It was about what they would say, what they would think. And so God is calling, but don't be like that. Don't be like these hypocrites who just want to be seen. Be a person of integrity. And you think, what does that word mean? It's a word that we use a lot. But we say, when we think of the word integrity, being a person, just think of consistency. That no matter what situation I'm in, no matter where I am, I'm going to be the same person always. 
And so as we talk about this, I kind of was going back and forth on this. On my, on my, I was putting my notes together. I was like, man, am I going to spend some time giving them reasons why they should want to be people of integrity? Like, it seems a little insulting. Like, part of this is like, be people of integrity, right? We can all agree that that's... And then in the end, I was like, no, I'm going to give you the reasons, but we're just going to do it real quick. Here's three very, very quick reasons why it's important. First, God sees. Now, it is important to me that, I, that, that you hear me say God sees versus me saying God is watching. If I say God is watching, that feels a little bit different than God sees. Because this is the point that Jesus is making. The things that you do in secret, God sees. He's not watching, waiting for you to fail so he can punish you. He is watching, hoping, and waiting that, that you're going to do something incredible and that you're going to give to somebody who doesn't know and that you're going to love someone and, and no one will ever know and you're going to do the right thing when you're all by yourself. And he's looking, he sees that, and he sees what you do and he rewards you. Even if you're only motivated to be a good person by rewards, this is what he's saying. If, if, you, if you do it for man's rewards, well, you're going to get that. Oh, man, great job. But if you're doing it for God, who has the most resources and the most love and the greatest desire to reward, then do the things in secret and let God be the one who rewards you. God sees you. Second, you need this. I mean, this is on the syllabus. This is the syllabus. Be a person of integrity that honors God with your life no matter where you are. This is what you want. This is what you need. I don't know about you, but the worst version of me is the one that is by myself. I will say things in my car I would not say if my wife was there. I would not say if my nine-year-old was with me. I respond to things when I am by myself. I think you may not think because of the way that you know me. Oh, Charlie doesn't have an anger problem. I, I may be the only one that knows but I do, and I see him, because that's who I am too often when I'm by myself. And I want that guy to die. This is what I need in my life. I need who God is and, and, and these characteristics to flow out of me when I'm by myself. And lastly, I'll say this. People know. People know. You can spot a phony, can't you? You can spot a phony somebody who's just talking. And God is calling us out there to give hope and life to a broken world, to show them that God is real. And they're looking, and they can tell when somebody is, is, is phony, when somebody isn't real. Who you are flows from your character. And fake it till you make it, it's not possible. Because everyone will know that it's fake. I want that person to be gone. And I want the world to see that God is real. And I want the God who sees to see me. And that I am connected to him. That his spirit is changing me on the inside. And no matter where I am, no matter who I am with, I am becoming the man, woman that God is calling me to be 
and I'm honoring him with the way that I live my life. Let me pray.